Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey everybody, it's Dave here and have we got a treat for you. It's Thirsty Thursday on Vikings Happy Hour and we've got a special guest. When Ryan Longwell wants to talk, we listen. And he's going to be on next. So stay tuned. Welcome to Vikings Happy Hour, where we mix our favorite beverage and talk of your Minnesota Vikings. Skull! Hello and welcome to this special edition of Vikings Happy Hour Sponsored by Lake Monster Brewing and That's Badass Wood Art. You can head over and get 20% off any one item from That's Badass Wood Art.com. And today we are joined by former kicker Ryan Longwell, third all time in Vikings history for points. How are you, sir? How's retirement? Uh, I'm doing well. It's uh, Retirement's been great. Uh, been busy. Uh, we have uh, both kids in college now. So. Uh, you know, Sarah and I kind of looked at each other and said, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, so uh, <laughs> it's been fun. It's been fun following the kids around and uh, uh, fun just kind of helping out. And uh, I kind of mentioned earlier that been helping out some college kids kicking and snapping and punting and stuff. So uh, just doing that on my uh, free time and, you know, trying to keep the golf game in shape. Have you have you thought about coming up here? Because uh, I feel like ever since you left, we just we can't get our kicking situation uh, figured out. Greg Joseph is kind of, you know, he's had a he's had a rough couple games. Have you have you have you talked to yeah. anybody in the Vikings organization? So I haven't. You know, I mean, uh, other than you know Rob Brzezinski and a few guys. I mean, most of the guys that uh, when I was there are now moved on. But yeah, um, you know, I always say it, it, we're kind of you know full circle yet again. The reason that the pa- the Packers, you know, my career was there, and then. Um, the reason the Vikes came after me when I was done there was because the Vikes had had, you know, I think it was four or five kickers in the previous year and a half. And so it was basically like, come solidify the position. And so that's, you know, what, you know, we didn't make them all, but I felt we were pretty good for six years, you know, and, and philosophically, once again, for those six years, it was me, it was Chris Cluey and it was Colin Leffler. So love them or hate them. We had one snapper, we had one punter, and we had one holder. And so by the end of, you know, year one, you know, of training camp, like we were in a pretty good groove. And then the groove just keeps getting better and better and better. And so all that means is it doesn't mean like your best gets better, but your B-ball, the one that days you're not feeling it, the day that the snap gets back a little later, those go through when you're used to each other, uh, you know, for that long. So, um you know, I felt like we were pretty solid for six years. And then, obviously, you know, Blair had his struggles. And then it's just kind of been the same thing with, 
the snapping and the holding and the switching punters and the switching kickers that you kind of have this revolving door where, you know, nobody likes to talk about it, but I always say <laughs> like, you know, the Packers for the last three decades have had Chris Jackie, myself and Mason Crosby. Now, Jackie, myself and Crosby have not been perfect all year, every year for those times, but over the long haul, we've been pretty steady. And so it's kind of like the known quantity is better than the hot hand. And I think it's just a philosophical thing that what we were brought to Minnesota to do, we did. And then they went away from it, uh, you know, a little too quickly. Well, so, so I was going to bring that up to you because, I mean, you talk about the stability at some of those special teams positions and the Vikings did move on from Jordan Berry, who was uh, Greg Joseph's holder last year. Now it's Ryan Wright, who's a rookie, Right, I don't know if he has any holding experience. Do you think that maybe that's playing in into a factor of you know why he's sixty four percent this year from field on on field goals? Well, I'll tell you why it's a factor, and you got to kind of look a little deeper in the numbers. Is that yes, he's sixty four percent, and yes, he's missed a few extra points, but he's perfect inside fifty, right? And so mm-hmm. the hold comes down to when you're long range. When you're back there and you've got to hit the perfect ball to get it through, that's when the little nuances of a new holder or a young holder, an inexperienced holder, become a huge deal. And so um, you know, he's missed from fifty six a few times, but he's also had a few blocks. So I don't know protection-wise. I mean, I haven't like studied the film or anything, so I don't know protection-wise if there were flaws in the protection. But to me, when you look at the stats and you look at what's going on, uh, long-range field goals tells me there's operational issues or, or trust issues there. Um, and blocked kicks lead me to believe that there's holds getting down late and or spun late. And so I know, you know, the snapper is the repeat snapper from last year, but he only snapped seven games last year. So, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, we got to make kicks. I mean, there, there's no question. That, that's the job title. However, you know, Greg's been through a revolving door of snappers and holders, and it's tough. I'm just telling you, it's tough yeah. when you do that, and then you add the pressure of what the job title actually is. And the job title of a kicker, no matter if you're peewee or in the NFL, is A or F. There's no C grades. You either pass <laughs> or you fail. And that's the name of the game. And so when you amp that pressure up and you have these revolving you know, parts, it just becomes tough to trust it when you need it most. And you need it most under pressure and you need it most from long range. How much, yeah, Ryan. Of, how much of the kicking process is it's, – it's obviously a body mechanics type swing. Like in golf – you can tweak certain things. You can draw back inside to hit a hook or do whatever. How much of that yep. is involved in kicking uh, the whole snapping, get the ball, spin, kick, and, you know, one little bit, a tweak on one little bit can fix it or break it? Yeah, it's really it, – it, there's so many moving parts. And I always joke, there's no such thing as a chip shot, you know, but there's so many moving parts. So. You have 1.27 seconds from snap to hold to kick to get that ball off. If you get to 1.3233, it's probably blocked. And if you go faster than that, if you go to 1.2, 1.22, everything's happening too fast to get it right. Meaning if the laces come back at 9 o'clock, it's too quick to get it to 12 o'clock and the foot's coming through too quick. So there's a sweet spot that you've got to be able to know 
the you know the, the trust yes do the snap need to get it back there at 12 o'clock yes does the hold need to get on the spot and lean properly with the lasers forward yes but having said that it becomes an art to get it all done in the 1.27 seconds where it's not too fast it's not too slow everybody's in rhythm your ball is your best b ball we'll call it because you want to swing at 85 90 percent so your miss hit goes straight you know if you're swinging at 100 percent and the ball comes back at nine o'clock and the hole gets down just a touch late and the laces get to 12 o'clock just before you hit it or that it's actually moving a little bit, the ball's not going through if you're swinging at 100%. So yes, there are guys, you know, I, like I was a guy that eliminated the left miss. I never wanted to see the ball go left. And so I had Cluey and my holders in Green Bay like hold the ball forward and leaned away from me because I it was not a cut shot, but the ball was not turning left. There are guys like Adam Vinatieri and those guys that played a little hook through it. He'd never want to see the ball going right. And so there are subtleties to it. But the thing is, is if I'm aiming that the ball's not going to go left, and Cluey, if he would put the ball down and give me the wrong hold so the ball went left, I'm just telling you, the next time I'm out there aiming, I'm like, where do I aim this thing? Now, I will. Cluey was great. Like, Cluey, we never had that issue after, you know, our mini camps and stuff. But, um, you know, you look at, just because I, I know him well, you look at Mason, you know, last year over in Green Bay where they had a rookie holder and the rookie holder's miss was Mason's kryptonite, which was Mason's a cutter of the ball like I was. And if you lean it into him, that ball's going left and low. And when, you, when you're a cutter of the ball like on the golf course and you see that ball going left, man, it's a scary thing to go out there next time. And so then you start having a hard time swinging away. And then when you have a hard time swinging away, that's what shows up from 56 and 53 and th those longer ones. Miles, you had a question. Yeah, I was just going to touch on, like, obviously you said you haven't watched the film of the Vikings, which is totally, totally fair. <laughs> you got a lot of stuff going on. But um, have you caught any of the Vikings games this year? Uh, and I was just curious, like, how often you, you do watch games. And just to kind of see, like, your thoughts on Greg Joseph as, as a kicker, you know, last year into this year and, um, just kind of your overall thoughts of him and, the, and their process. Well, I thought he was great last year. And I thought his, his good ball is a very, very good ball. Um, you know, kind of uh, – let me go two routes here, okay? The, the first thing is, is if you watch – I won't consider myself one of the best. But if you watch the best of the best, the Jason Hansons, the Vinatieri's, the Gary Anderson's of the world, you know, even Justin Tucker for that matter – the trajectory on those guys is not a really high ball. It's kind of just a touch lower, and it's kind of that three-quarter height. And so we had total control over that height, okay? So there's very few, if any, high ball kickers that last a long time in the NFL. And now getting really down the rabbit's hole here. Now, when you go to these kicking camps as a high school kid and a college kid, you know, they want the Instagram kick. They want this, you know, let me put it on my social media. And the kick is straight up in the air and it's from 70 yards. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, why isn't that guy kicking in the NFL? You know, well, <laughs> where's, you've seen where's college Ryan? Games. Where's yeah. Ryan? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've seen college games just like I have. And none of these guys that translate in kicking in the yeah. camps at that 70 yarder through the moon turn up on game day, you know, in, in college. And so you kind of play that forward. And of those few guys that make it to the league, there's very few guys that last a long time that hit a really high ball. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those things where 
you've got to kind of get the trajectory where it's controllable. And so that's, you know, a number one. I thought Greg was great last year. I mean, I thought he was great. And yeah. for the most part, I mean, he's, he's perfect inside 50 this year. So I'm not saying, you know, he, he's right. lost it. Now, here's the second thing that I'll, I'll go, this road I'll go down. I know there's been a regime change, you know, in, in Minnesota. But Blair Walsh was drafted and had an unbelievable first year. Okay. Yeah. And then they got rid of Cluey. Okay. So they had a new holder after his great first year. And they still had Colin, but you add a new piece of the puzzle, and he wasn't quite as good. Then they replaced Colin the next year, and you add another piece, take it out of the puzzle, and then he wasn't quite as good. And so it's kind of a philosophical thing with the organization that they can't, like, leave well enough alone. Now, like, I know, like I said, I know there's a regime change. Like, I fundamentally disagreed with the approach of, of the last regime, but... When Greg had last year's like great season, I'm like, there we go. Like, leave it alone. Like, don't touch it. <laughs> sign the snapper, sign the punter. Like, let's keep this group together for you know five, six, seven years. Let's ride it out, and they're gonna be good for the long haul. Well, they get it, right? And so you kind of reap what you sow. And so unfortunately, I see like this Blair Walsh kind of trajectory going again, where you just like Kicking and snapping and punting are not like the backup yeah. linebacker where we have a guy that's worth you know eight hundred fifty grand. We can get a young guy in for three hundred grand. It's just not the same. And when does it show up? When you need it most. And it, three points is a huge deal in the NFL nowadays. And so yeah. you, it shows up when you need it most. I mean that that's the thing. Yeah, and with the extra points being moved back too, it's even more important. Because there's less less wiggle room there too. Because he's missed a few extra points this year, as well. Yeah, yes, yeah, and and that's there's just no you know I mean I said earlier there's no chip shot and it's kind of a right. you know like I, I mean I'll admit like I, I don't know what I would do with the extra point rule now because there were there were games <laughs> that you know you just kind of go out and you're just not feeling it but luckily the offense drives down scores a touchdown and you have that twenty yard extra point to kind of get your groove of the first kick of the day. When that first kick is the 33-yarder, it's just different, you know? And so you can't yeah. guide those through anymore um, like you could from 20. And so that 33, you know, you got to be on your stuff, which means you got to trust the hold, which means you got to trust the snap. And, um, you know, we all get in funk. So, like, I don't know if Greg got in a funk or is getting out of it or whatever. But, um, you know, it's certainly I've always looked at it as an operation. And if you start looking at, at individual components – you're going to have trouble. Like you're really going to have trouble. Well, how I have a quick question. Oh, I was just going to ask real quick. I was just going to ask, I was going to ask about like warming up because most kickers, they, they also do kickoffs. Does that help? Do you think that helped you, you know, doing kickoffs in any way during a game to help keep your, your, obviously your leg warm, but just like kicking further. I know it's off a tee and that's a little obviously different, but was just curious, like how that process works in in comparison to like kicking uh, field goals and extra points. Yeah, so I kicked off every game I played in, and I always felt the, the, the big problem is is every kick we take live, field goal or extra point-wise, is snap-holding kick, right? So right. I always felt my philosophy is if I would go out there and warm up off the holder, the little tripod, the sticks or whatever you want to call them, and that wasn't rhythm to me. That was just technical stuff. And the last thing I wanted on game day was technical stuff. So to answer your question, 
I would use my kickoffs as the rhythm of getting my leg loose, you know, swinging for it. I'd warm up, you know, before the opening kick or at halftime with kind of my field goal approach to a kickoff tee and just kind of getting the rhythm that way where I wasn't trying to actually make the kick. I was just hitting the ball. And I think you get so caught up in if you go out there with the sticks of trying to make the kick versus hitting your ball. Hitting your ball is a way better avenue to go. And so I always felt like kickoffs were a great thing because, you know, if you're playing in Lambeau or Soldier Field or something, you also want to see what the ball is doing in the air. Um, right. But at the same time, it, to me, it was a, it's a huge asset in order to get loose and stay loose during the game. Dave, you had something? Yeah, I was curious. Is there any way to speed up the process of cementing the three positions, the holder, the kicker, the snapper, to where they do – become that solidified unit and everything is that perfect, perfect timing every time type of deal. Well, yeah, obviously success breeds success, you know? And so, um, you know, I mean, I can just speak for myself, like Colin and uh, Chloe and I, I love those guys, but I made them go out to practice 30 (laughs) minutes before everything started. And it was just the three of us on the field and we hit literally the same exact set of field goals every single day before practice and it was i did my first kick of the day was with a live snap and hold i never warmed up off the sticks i would swing my leg i would stretch i would get loose and run and everything but my first kick was out of cluey's hold i mean that 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 was it and so we would hit the same 20 ball set every single day going back to 58 but we'd work on each hash working back did the same thing every wednesday and thursday for my entire career and what that was, was ironically the same set we hit in pregame, before the games. And so what game day felt like was nothing bigger or nothing smaller. It just felt like the next time we did the same set. And so you kind of hypnotically get yourself into this groove where the same thing you did on Wednesday is the same thing you did on Thursday is the same thing you did in pregame. So when you go out there in the first quarter for the 38-yarder, it's just the same routine. And so... It was just so important to me. My, my, the whole philosophy of my approach was rhythm and routine. Like that was it. It wasn't, you know, chinned here. It wasn't hit the, get your ankle locked this way. That wasn't at all. It was rhythm and routine. And so we hypnotized ourselves basically by doing the same set every single time that we would do on pregame. And it showed up on game day that we were pretty consistent. We didn't go faster on game day. We didn't go slower on game day. We just always were the same. And that, that, that proved that you guys had that stability for us for six seasons, and it was, it was great. Um, if, if you had Greg Joseph's ear right now, because, I mean, I, I'm sure as a kicker, when, when you, when you kind of start to miss a little bit, and, and to your point, right, he's been really good inside 50 yards. But when you can't quite get those 50-yarders, you know, maybe you start getting in your head a little bit. Um, is there anything that you'd tell Greg Joseph right now if you had his ear? Yeah, to me, it would be focus on the rhythm. Like, focus on the rhythm of your approach. Don't worry about technical stuff. Don't worry about hitting the ball harder. I would say back off to 85 90%. Um, the thing that most people don't realize is that you have to practice kicking at 85 or 90%. All this home run derby stuff, like, like I talked about earlier, it's impossible to replicate on game day because everybody forgets on game day you have to add adrenaline to the puzzle. So if you swing at 100% Wednesday and Thursday for, at practice and you add adrenaline, all of a sudden you're at 100 and whatever percent. You can't control your leg at that speed. So you need to practice at 85 and 90%. And so adrenaline gets you to 90 
do 95%. So you're right in the sweet spot of hitting your best, most consistent, cleanest ball with the least amount of effort. And so I think when guys start missing and start missing, especially from long range, everything's out of sequence. So they're swinging too hard, but they're swinging too hard too quick. And so it's kind of like, you know, we always joke, it's not step, step, kick. It's step, step, kick. So there's kind of like a load of the leg before you actually make contact. And I would repeat that phrase to him 8 trillion times uh, if I was next to him. <laughs> and we would get it pretty quick. And I'll say this other thing. So if I ever felt like I was getting out of sync or in a funk or whatever, um, my slumps didn't last very long, thank goodness. Um, but I wouldn't watch film of myself. I would watch film of Jason Hansen. And after two or three kicks of Jason Hansen, he, he had this thing that he did with his head, um, you know, kind of his position on the kick that would get me back in sync instantly. And so Interesting. I, I think, you know, I, I think there's a lot of kickers that watch too much film of themselves. I also think there's a lot of coaches that, uh, you know, God forbid I'm saying this, but coaches that don't know what they're talking about that watch film of their kicker and then say something to their kicker. And nine times out of 10, the most important thing to say to a kicker is what you don't say. It's not what you do say. And I think a lot of these coaches feel empowered because they've seen a kicker or they've seen a hundred kickers or they've coached in a league for 40 years that they feel like they know what it is. And I'm just telling you, unless you've been between the hash marks with the game on the line or your job on the line and your right leg feeling like jello and you have to hit this kick through, you just don't know what it's like. You just don't, you know? And so that's where it's almost better what you don't say than what you do say. So every coaching, if you want to call it that point, that I would give Greg or I give kickers is always rhythmic and timing and those kind of things. It's never technical stuff. Um, that, that makes me, I mean, I've seen it uh, asked a couple times in the chat here. Um, it just brings me to a point of, did, did you ever approach the the last regime about like Carlson and Dan Bailey at all? I did. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, not like not to, you know, belabor a point. I I mean, I've said this before, so it's not like breaking news. Um, Yeah. I watched, uh, I thought Daniel Carlson was the real deal. Okay. I mean, he is, right? So so did Rick Spielman. (laughs) Yeah. So when he was drafted, I watched the Green Bay game. Okay, and back to your golf analogy, Dave, like mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do on golf is stand on a tee box and have the ball going both ways. And you don't know what to do. Right. You don't know where to aim. You don't know where to fix. So I watched Daniel Carlson hit three balls to the right in a game. And I'm like this. Guy, I got it. Like, I know exactly what he's doing. Like, this is just a little nerves. He was crouching a little bit to the ball, which got it started right and going right. But it's a one-way miss. It's one thing. This can get fixed. So I did text the people I know uh, in the front office. And I said, do not abandon ship on this kid. This kid is the real deal. It is extremely fixable. I will be happy to do it. I'll do it under the radar. No one even has to know. I'll talk to the guy or come in. But this is quick, a uh, quick fix. And that do not abandon ship on this poor kid. And the only response I got was, I think it's too late. Okay. And so obviously they cut him and look at what he's doing now. I mean, has he ever missed? I don't even know if he's missed. Like the guy he's, is like he's right 40 in a row, 50 in a row. Like it's, it's unbelievable how good he is. And sometimes you got to take a step back 
to get a couple steps forward. And that Green Bay game was the biggest blessing Daniel Carlson's ever had because it, it, it not that he got out of Viking, right. not that, but that he identified the flaw under pressure, fixed it right away because it was a simple fix. He just needed help doing it. Mm-hmm. And he was Did you work with him? Did you work I with didn't. him after he got cut? Oh, okay. I, I didn't. No. So uh, he got, I know we did work with him and I, like, I like his style of coaching. And uh, so he got fixed and I mean, he's just money in the bank now. Amazing. He's really, really good. It's been amazing. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that was that one. Um, you know, I, I talked to Blair quite a bit when he was going through his struggles because, you know, the whole thing with the Seahawks miss once again was kind of what we talked about earlier. I mean, that was a one one eight get off. A one one eight get off in that temperature outside in, you know, TCF Stadium, you just have no wiggle room. Like there's no wiggle room. The ball came back a little low, it wasn't spun right away, and he was on it that fast because he was too quick to the ball. So, you know, a lot of these guys with stopwatches are the worst enemy of actual what works on game day. And so I, I do think, you know, I, I reached out for Daniel. Obviously, I lost that battle. Um, and, you know, they had to move on from Blair. But they've attempted to fix the, you know, the problem over the years. But you have to look at it like the three-headed monster. And yeah. you have to leave all three of them together once you get a good combo, you know. And with Kai and with the other guys that they've had, you know, they've had interchanging snappers. They switched snappers, was it last year, the year before, like mm-hmm. right yeah. before the season, like in yep. last week of training camp, which, I mean, that fundamentally means every single rep you've taken all offseason is all for naught. Like, it, mm-hmm. you throw it out the door. So, you know, it's it's not like plugging and playing, you know, a different left tackle or something like that. Like, this is all sequencing on 1.27 seconds. And when you have a new piece to the puzzle, it undermines a little of the rhythm, but a lot of the trust. As a former holder and then an emergency holder in college, I understand. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's, you know, I was, I was lucky enough that my, uh, my freshman year at Cal in college, I punted and held. So, like, I know the pressure of getting that ball down quick, you know, and so I'm, I'm lucky to say that I did it because now I know, you know, my holders over the years were great, but you know, I had Doug Peterson, I had Matt Hasselback over Green Bay, had those guys, and then obviously Chloe in Minnesota. And, um, you know, those guys are life and death for my success. You know, if it's, it's, if it's not down there perfect, yeah. it's not going to go through. There's no mystery to it. I had a quick question, Ryan. Now that you're talking about holding, did um, obviously for the longest time, backup quarterbacks were the holders. Did you, and then obviously switch to punters, did you have that experience? Like going from like the, the, quarter, the usual backup quarterbacks to the punters? And then what was that change like? Now I'm, I'm like interested in that now. Yeah, so there was a, uh, like a philosophy change of the punters do it because the punters are around the kicker more often and the snappers so you can get more reps without having to pull yeah. the quarterbacks. Now, in Green Bay, it's not much of a secret that no one was going to beat out number four, Brett Favre, right? So <laughs> yeah. the, way, the way these guys fought to keep their roster spot as the backup quarterback was to be the holder. And so Doug and, you know, Doug Peterson and, uh, and Matt Hasselback, they went above and beyond whenever we wanted to kick to make sure <laughs> they were available because it, uh, it helped their roster status. It helped solidify them as the backup. And, and uh, they went above and beyond for us, which we were extremely thankful for. Too funny.
Did you, I do you a, notice, besides, but is there like a true difference though for you? Like, um, between how the, the whole thing was fundamentally? Um, no, because the, uh, you know, I, I, I think once you teach it properly, um, it's pretty easy to learn. There are clearly guys with better hands and worse hands, but just because it's a quarterback doesn't mean they have better hands. You know, it's really right. the, it's, it's the move of how you catch it in the same spot so you add the laces or the forward every time, you know, it's, it's, so it's not reaching out for it. It's all that. So once you, once you know how to coach it, know how to teach it, um, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, Cluey had some of the worst hands I'd ever seen. But <laughs> Cluey, when, when he understood how I wanted it caught and put down and everything, he never missed. Like, he, I think he dropped one in our first game together when we played at the Redskins, now the Commanders. We are playing up in Washington. Um, in the first game we played when I was there, like my first attempt, he, he dropped the PAT. And after that, he never missed one, you know. And so um, once you learn, like you, the players can be just as good, if not better, because they're going to be around more so they can get more reps. Do you see a value in having a kicking coach on a uh, I do in the NFL? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I do, because I, I don't think special teams includes kicking and punting. Uh, I really don't. And I don't think – um, you know, to defend them. I don't think a special teams coach is required to know kicking and punting. You know, I, I just think it's a different thing. Now, I will say a lot of us are stubborn in the NFL to know what we know and do what we want to do. But I think an extra set of eyes that knows when not to say something is far more important, um, you know, to have around than a guy just kind of left on their own and getting bad information like guys that are left on their own and getting the wrong information, man, I just, it's such a slippery slope before you just, you get to a point where you just have no confidence going out there again. And so the last thing you want is that situation. So I do think there's value in it. I do think it's an important role. Um, and I do think having another set of eyes for the operation, the snap, the hold and the kick and you know, the punt, I mean, you know, there's there's subtleties to it once you've been through the fire that, you know, I could tell a, a special teams coach a hundred times and, and he still would not understand it like I understand it. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Do you? So I, I had a couple questions for you. Uh, you mentioned Washington in in the instance with with Chris Cluey kind of dropping the ball there on your on your hold. Yep. Um, we're in Washington this week uh, on yes. Sunday, and you know I think they're notorious for kind of having like a bad field, right? Is there a difference on kicking between turf and grass, and like how do you approach that in a game? And is this a good game for for Joseph to go out there and try and kick a fifty yarder if it, if it's if the the field conditions are going to be rainy and crappy. Yeah, I mean, good grass is always the best surface to kick off of. Now, to your point, where you're going this week does not have good grass. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, it's unfortunately it looks really good on camera and it's green and flat and all that stuff, but it's a real heavy sand base. And so it tears up super easy. It leaves divots, um, you know, after the first, I mean, really after pregame, honestly. 
Uh, and so you can get some bad spots to kick from, you know? Um, so as long as he's got good footing with his plant foot, you know, it, you could make kicks, but if you've got to go get one, you know, 55, 56, something like that, it's not the easiest surface to kick off of if your foot, if your foot doesn't grab. Um, having said that, sometimes you go to these ice skating rinks and you just kind of forget anything that's going on and you have great days and it gets you back into the groove, you know? So, uh, there's, there, there can be a yin and a yang to the bad field. Um, I mean, I know some days you went out in soldier field and it was just horrid, you know? (laughs) So you kind of just throw your hands up in the air and say, uh, I just pray that you don't get the 52 yarder into the wind from that side of the field that has the mud, you know? And, if you do, it's just not your day. But if you get three twenty yarders downwind, you know you can get through the day okay. So you just kind of got to take it one at a time and, and hope you uh, hope you get the good breaks. <laughs> too funny, too funny. Well, uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time here, uh, so I'll just leave you with one final question uh, that I'm sure Viking fans all kind of want to know. But what was your favorite memory here in Minnesota? Well. So let me give you two because okay, I'll take um, two. That works. Yeah. Well, one of them only because I saw you know Jared riding in on his horse last week and um, <laughs> you know that whole thing. The not so much the 2009 season with Brett and everybody and you know going to the NFC Championship, but that locker room was the most fun year of sports I've ever played in my life. I mean, it was just we had the best conglomeration of human beings, whether you're talking about Antoine Woodfield or Jared Allen or Brian Robinson or, you know, Favre or the Williams brothers, you know, Shank and all these guys, even Cluey, you know, I mean, we had the best collection of people and we had so much fun that year that, you know, Sundays was just kind of like, let's go in the, you know, in the yard and play. I mean, that, that's kind of what it turned into. And it was so much fun. Obviously it was fun having Brett, you know, kind of, you know, have that year he had, but that was incredible. But I, I think the one memory of like football kicking wise uh, I had was um, we played the giants in you know, week 17, last game of the year. And we lined up for that 50 yarder to win the game. And it was when we win the division and go make the playoffs and miss. Uh, if I make it, we do that. If I, if I miss, we're out and the season's over. And so there's eight seconds left and I line up for the 50 yarder and Coughlin calls timeout to ice me. Okay, kind of expected it. So I go to reset, and I'm taking my steps again, and then there's another timeout. And I'm like, the rule is you can only call one timeout. And it comes from our sideline, of all things. So Childress had iced me, called timeout, (laughs) and then called the field goal team off the field, and we bring out the offense, and T-Jack, God rest his soul, throws it out of bounds to burn, you know, five more seconds off the clock. So we want it to be the last play of the game. So that was that play. Then I go back out to line up for this 50 yarder again. And because it's a new play, Coughlin calls timeout again. So I'm like, like, this is the worst thing ever, you know? Um, It's got to be a record. I I mean, I think it is. I've never seen it in my life. And so the, uh, you know, obviously we stepped it off and lined up and made the kick and won the division and went to the playoffs. But it was the circumstance along with the pressure, along to, you know, uh, pat myself on the back, just kind of reloading the process every time, yeah. you know, and, and knowing what was on the line, but also knowing that I, 
trusted myself enough to kind of reset and reset and reset and then obviously make the kick. So uh, that was interesting, but that was a big kick and, and that was a really fun one. <laughs> well, now, now, now you made me lie because I, I was going to be done there, but I wanted to, you brought yeah. up icing the kicker. Um, does that, does, I mean, you talk about the process of preparing to get up there for a kick. Is, does icing the kicker truly work or is it just a kicker by kicker basis? So here's my philosophy on it. And then I'll let you go. <laughs> you, no, no, you're good. Like I'm good. I'm good on time. Um, I always felt like if we're lining up for a game-winning kick, 99% of the time we have just driven the length of the field, okay, to get there. So I felt like if you call timeout and ice me, it's going to give my linemen a chance to catch their breath, and I'm going to get better protection so I can take just a click longer to get the ball off. So – I always felt like it was an asset to me. And then if we were, you know, obviously my years in Green Bay, or if we were in an outdoor game, it gave me a chance to make sure my plant foot footing was all solid, that the, you know, the field was mashed down, that I could get a really good spot for the ball. Um, So for me, I mean, it wasn't like I was hoping for it, but I definitely preferred when they did it because I got better protection and I got a better spot to kick from. So, um, I never looked at it like the mental side of it because to me it was just like you just restart the process kind of like I just talked about whether it's yeah. the first quarter kick or the game winning kick you just go through the same process and if they ice you you just back off and then start the process again so that's kind of how I looked at icing I know kickers now will uh they'll just proceed with the kick it's almost like a free kick out there um yeah so here's, here's the thing about that yeah so here's the thing about that is I always tell guys that I work with, don't ever kick that ball unless it's blowing 40 miles an hour and you've got to see what the ball is doing in the air. But if you make that kick on the timeout one and it goes through <laughs> and it goes through right center, okay, not dead center, but right center, what's your thought? Your thought is, okay, well, I'm just going to tug this one just a touch more or maybe aim just a further left on this next one to make sure it goes through, right? not at all what we want. So our we're whole, our whole program is go out, do it once and get off the field. And so when you add another data point to what you're doing, it throws what you do normally off. And so, like I said, yeah. if you're in soldier field, it's blowing 40 miles an hour and you're at 45 yards and you just got to see what the wind is doing, then by all means, send it and then look at the ball and see what it's doing in the air. So you know how to aim, but don't ever hit that kick. Don't ever do it because you're just adding more data that you don't need uh, to the next one. I'm convinced that's the part of the icing that coaches want. They want you to kick it um, because 100%. they know that it's they, they know it's coming back. Um, they want they want baggage. It. Yeah, they want to add baggage yeah. to you. And so if you stripe it yeah. and hit a perfect ball, now you're like debating. Oh, no, can I do that again? Because that was a good one. But if you miss it. Then you're like, oh my gosh. And there's a little more ounce of pressure on you because yeah. you just missed the practice kick, right? So yep. it's just, you just don't want any extra data. And so I, I agree with you. I, I think I think the coaches have got it so good now with like the last second timeout that now guys, they got them like hitching a little bit, expecting it. Yeah. And so when they don't call it now, it almost throws guys off a little more than if they do, you know, bang the timeout. So interesting. So interesting. Crazy, um, right? <laughs> yep. Ryan, is there anything you'd like to report? I saw you've got fourth and long well. Yeah, no, I, 
you know, so uh, like I said, both kids are in college, um, and you know, we're having a blast tracking them around. Our daughter's playing tennis uh, uh, in college, so that's been fun. But uh, I'm just having fun, and so I consult with colleges and help their kickers and punters and snappers and specialists kind of do what we've just talked about, you know, today on you just get them a chance to have a chance. You know, there's so many colleges that, you know, the, the coaching points, if you want to call them that, are just get the ball down or just get the ball off or just hit it higher. And, well, that's great. But, you know, how do you get the ball off faster if the ball's not there? And how do you hit it higher if the ball's lean sideways and the laces are, you know, the wrong way? So I, I like to give guys a chance to have a chance. So I've been doing that. And that's kind of the, the fourth and long well thing was, was uh, you know, just a kind of a quirky name. But uh um, I've been doing that and, and having a uh, having a blast doing it. So uh, I feel like I was beyond blessed to do what I did for a living. And I don't know if I was good, bad, or indifferent, um, but I felt like I had a pretty good handle on how to handle it, uh, the mental and the physical side of it. Uh, and so I feel like it's my duty, gift, whatever you want to call it, to give back to these kids. And, you know, I do talk to a couple NFL guys and, and you know, kind of consult them a little bit, help them out a little bit. But um, I just feel like for what I did for a living, it's the last, least thing I can do is to give back to these kids, to give someone else a chance to to be in, you know, my shoes in the future. Well, I That's can awesome. tell you, as Vikings fans, you know we're traumatized by kickers over our history. I do know that. <laughs> um, but you were one yeah. that we did not worry about. And that's got to be the greatest compliment we could Yeah, I felt like we would have made the New Orleans kick. I felt mm-hmm. like we were pretty good there. Oh, um, we knew that <laughs> was going to happen. It, but yeah. I, I, I felt like uh, we uh, we would have put it of, uh, a pretty good hit on that one and put it through. Mm-hmm. So, uh, unfortunately, we'll never know. But uh, I appreciate that. That's yeah, the ultimate compliment is that we just never worried when you ran, ran on the field, right? And yep. uh, I think between Cullen and Cluey and myself, we had a pretty efficient operation doing that. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for hopping on. Um, we truly appreciate it, giving your insight and your knowledge and sharing that. We'll have to, uh, when the offseason rolls around and maybe draft time, I don't know if you follow any draft prospects, but maybe we'll get you on and uh, chat about some of the kickers that uh, that might be coming out. Love to. Yeah, I, I, I follow it pretty close because obviously I like to know who's coming. Working with those coming, kids. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, let me know and then, yeah, I'm available and I appreciate you reaching out. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. For everybody that joined us today in the chat, uh, head on over to our YouTube channel, uh, Climb in the Pocket, and like and subscribe. We will be back for Vikings Happy Hour next Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Um, until then, everybody, Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings! Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and feel free to rate us on your favorite aggregator. A big shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. To That's Badass Wood Art, when you're looking for something unique to brighten your space. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody! Skull, everybody!